0: Making It Plain, a podcast dedicated to discussing real issues that impact Black communities, Black families, and Black women. Your host, Dr. Key, is dedicated to discussing Black issues in a way everyone can relate. Welcome to Making It Plain podcast. I am your host, Dr. Key. In this episode of Making It Plain, we are discussing racism, police brutality, and motherhood, with Dr. Shadia Edwards, psychology professor and mental health expert, and Pastor Alvin George's senior site pastor at the Mount Peninsula. Welcome.
1: Hey. Thank you.
0: <laughs> well, I am glad you all could be with me today. You know, over the last few weeks, we have seen heightened protests every single day, multiple protests all over the United States and internationally, um, in Paris and Germany and Ireland, um, everyone protesting for the same thing. And that's racial injustices, right? Mm-hmm. And and along with that, I think that we've seen more violence against um, black males. Um currently there's a story out of California. And Shadia, I know you're in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a story where where two men um, were hanging from a tree or hung Mm -hmm. from a tree and they're saying that they were suicide, but it's it's not looking like suicide. Um, And then every day there's a new story of some type of injustice against Black males. I know for me, it's been very troubling as a mother of a Black son. um, and, And Dr. Edwards, I know you are a mother as well. And so I wanted to have this conversation, but I also wanted to to bring in Pastor George's because I know as Black culture, Black people, we stand strong on our faith. And when we start to look at the history of protests, um, they were organized in the church back in the day. Am I right?
1: That's exactly Um,
0: right. And so we need to have this conversation for one, for, for the culture for the mothers, for people right now who are are lost and and sort of suffering and trying to figure out how to process what they're seeing and what they're feeling every day. So my first question is, um, why do you believe racism has become so prevalent today?
2: I I don't know who you want to just jump in. Yeah, (laughs) just
0: jump in, just jump in. This should be natural.
2: Oh, sure. I, um... Thanks for having us on, first of all. I appreciate this. This is near dear to my heart, being a black man, of course. And, and uh, of course, to answer your question, there's so many medias, so many cell phones. People got video uh, capabilities now where they are recording these events. And um, so I think that's why it's so prevalent now. And, you know, it kind of makes you question, you know, just how much was going on when the cameras weren't on. Mm-hmm. Um because we know this did just didn't start, you know, but but now we're able to see it worldwide because of the uh accessibility of, of cameras and recording, um, which is a good thing. You can't change anything unless you can see what's really going on. Yes. Yeah. I totally
3: agree with that.
0: Yes. Uh, I think people are waking up because they're seeing more more yes. of this.
3: Yes, um, definitely.
0: So what is the impact of racism, oppression and microaggression on black people? And this may be right up your alley, Dr. Edwards.:
3: Yes. Um, one of the things that is very prevalent is it relates to poor health outcomes and traumatic stress. And when we look at stress, it's really linked to those negative mental health outcomes, such as anger, depression. You know, any physical reactions we may be experiencing, some avoidance, intrusion. And then a lot of times uh, we see those PTSD symptoms such as hypervigilance. You know, we're always at a state of alertness. You know, if you get pulled over by the police or you see a police officer come, for most Black people, especially Black men, they're always hypervigilant. It's always alertness.
0: And it also leads to low self-esteem. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And it's interesting that you say that this trauma and because we just witnessed a death of a, a man um, over the weekend at Wendy's, yes. right? Yes. And, and people are, are sort of trying to figure out, you know, how did he, how did this happen? Right? And I would say that he was suffering from trauma, which is why he reacted the way he reacted towards the, towards the cops. Um, You know, trying to get away, not wanting to get in the back of the cop car, all of those different Mm -hmm. things that we're watching people die now very easily on social media. Right. And that's causing some, that's having an impact on our psyche.
2: You know what? Doctor, Doctor, I'm glad we're having this discussion. <laughs> I had yeah. I had a conversation with someone the other day, and you can help us out, Doctor. Shal- Shadia. 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 Yeah, Shad- yeah. Shad- yeah, Shad- yeah. So just like what you were saying, Dr. Key, when just a natural response to trauma, you know, and, and trauma for different people gets triggered by different events. When a police officer confronts you. That can be the onset of a traumatic experience. And then mm-hmm. your natural reaction, natural, is to somehow respond. You're not just going to, you know, just be, you know, in, in a state of submission. You're either going to fight or you're going to fly. And that is a natural right. response.
1: Mm-hmm. And yes. so
2: the conversation I was having with somebody is, you know, officers need to know that when you, especially Black men, when you confront them, and I just want to make sure, am I off or not, that when you get confronted, automatically you're at a state of responding. And for unfortunately for black men, when we respond, it's always taken extreme. We, you know, we're threatening or, you know, we're we're right. coming across scary or monsters. And the reality is we're just responding naturally. Is that is that <laughs> safe to say?
3: Yeah. So what you're saying, what I hear you saying, Pastor, is something that I always talk about is how our body responds to stress. And if we look over the generational trauma we've experienced in the Black community and how a lot of us was raised to respond to stressful events, it's either that fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, like even my own family, we I was raised to always be in fight. Mm-hmm. So it's our natural response. And we're all going to respond different depending on how we were raised in our environments, Right. Right. And a lot of that is fight, especially for black men in the inner city. A lot of times you don't have any choice but to fight. And when we look at racial injustices, going back to I like to talk about why gangs were formed in the community. Gangs were formed to as protection against those racial injustices, right? Mm-hmm. So we've been fighting all our lives, mm-hmm. and it goes through generation to generation. We ha- we can't ignore that generational trauma that we've experienced for the last four hundred years,
2: and and that's the shame because then our our natural response, our flip, our fight, is taken as threatening and is causing us to be killed. And then right. justify because the way we naturally responded. Like it's exactly. just it's really frustrating.
3: Yes, because what what's happening is that when do we start taking the time to actually ask people, what have you been through? Mm-hmm. What type of trauma have you experienced? Mm-hmm. If we if police officers are more trauma informed, mm-hmm. it would make
0: a huge difference. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
0: And Dr. Edwards, if we also think about vicarious like trauma, we oh, have yeah. black males are black males are watching black males be hunted and killed on camera every yes. time they turn on social media. That is traumatizing within itself. Mm-hmm. And they and they're getting it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um I know that my son walked in right after George Floyd died and he was in tears. He mm-hmm. was he was he was so upset, but he wasn't upset like mad. He was afraid. He was very fearful. Um, and, and I said he experienced the trauma that George Floyd went through just from, by watching those videos. And now he's afraid. And he's saying every time I get in my car, I'm afraid to drive. Yeah. Right. And so that is we're experiencing that type of trauma that we know. We know people are experiencing that. And we haven't even gotten to generational trauma, what they've been through in their neighborhoods, what they've been through in their homes. But if you put that on top of the trauma that they're experiencing right now, every day, just via social media, um they're going to react in yeah. this mm-hmm. very instinctive way. Yeah. Right. Definitely.
2: And that's so, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Dr. Keith, because I no. you know, when you when your son is struck something, your son comes to you and tells you and they're able to verbalize, I'm I'm scared, you know, I'm I'm fearful. And
0: that, that's not what he said. What? He said, i okay. i I'm, I'm, I'm scared for y'all. He, he was scared for the women in the house, but really what that meant is that he was afraid.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I so, had to
0: flip it back on him. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, that that even proves my point. It's, it yeah. takes a lot for a man yes. to really express, I'm scared. Yes. And what I'm starting mm-hmm. to hear more of, even today when we, uh, I think there was a briefing with the, the family of the latest Rashad, uh, the latest killing here, and his family comes on, and there's a, his cousin is a black man. He comes up, and the lawyer is a black man, and both of them express we are fearful of mm-hmm. police officers. Mm-hmm. Now, my fear now is when a black man starts to say he's afraid, when he can start coming out to say he's afraid, that fear starts turning into for a black man, and I know this for myself because we got that macho in us. We're not going to be. We're not going to settle with that feeling long. Right. It's going to turn into, okay, I'm going to have to defend myself. I'm no longer going to present, you know, stuff. Uh, 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 what's the word? Defenseless. I'm no longer going to present sensitive because that's not the definition we've been taught of a man. So if I'm going to share with you that I'm afraid, I've got to compensate for that fear. And typically that becomes anger, revenge, mm-hmm. and and that's what I'm, you know, I'm praying against now because it's going to be, you're going to have men now starting to now be vengeful yeah. and that's, yes. Yeah.
0: So, and I think you bring us to an important topic. What is the overall impact of, of what we're seeing every day on black men right now? We talked about fear. Yeah. But what are we missing? Uh,
2: I think that's it. I mean, I th- I think we're feeling backed in a corner.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: When you feel, you know, helpless, like it's one thing after the other, and and for a black man who, you know, I'm sorry to say, we have to have some sense of control. I mean, we were taught to be leaders, and when you start compromising or threatening that control, taking that control, I every man is going to fight for it. Some man, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down fighting, and and mm-hmm. I, I think that's what's starting. If we're not careful, if we don't start the process of communication and start the process of weeding through those emotions, people are going to take matters into their own hands, and it's not going to look good.
0: yeah, and what I hear you saying is is, is there is uh, black men are feeling trapped. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. yep, and I think psychologically there there are other angles to this feeling of hopelessness being trapped fear. Am I right, um, Dr. Edwards? Yes. They lead to suicidal thoughts as well and depression. Oh, yeah.
3: And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, just all the mental health outcomes, you know, the anger, the depression, the PTSD symptoms that we're seeing, the low self-esteem, distrust. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of Black men have a lot of distrust right now, even Mm -hmm. more so. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. Yeah.
0: So what must change in our society in order to really eradicate racism altogether? What must change?
2: I think think the exposing of it more and more, you know, making sure it's in front of... And that's what's funny because now you're starting to see word that, you know, the NBA and the NFL, everybody's trying to put these diversions in place because they know Mm -hmm. more that these protests are seen, the more people are speaking up about it, then the more action has to take place. You know, something has to right. be done. So I right. think we gotta steep, we gotta keep talking. We gotta keep, mm-hmm. you know, teaching our kids, you know, we gotta keep talking around the family, you know, the table <laughs> during dinner time. I mean keep mm-hmm. keep it before us until change happens. Yes.
3: And to go off of that, I will add in, um on the the flip side of that is just removing the barriers to opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, if we don't have opportunities in our neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. that's, that continues to be a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, If we still have a systemic racism, when is that going to end? That's a problem. We need to dismantle and challenge that. That's Mm -hmm. a huge problem. Like we're all a part of a system. Mm-hmm. Even me in mental health, me as an educator, we're a part of that system mm-hmm. that are holding racial injustices. So we have to dismantle that and bring social equality. I mean, mm-hmm. social equality. Mm-hmm. That's, and um, another one is really closing that racial wealth gap. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. That's a huge one. It's so much economic inequality, and that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And that continues to be a problem. Um, And those are just a few off the top of my head. Oh, sorry. One of my biggest things, because you guys know I have a nonprofit, reforming Mm -hmm. our criminal justice system. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a huge one. We have to make changes in our criminal justice system, in mass incarceration, in the the school to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. We need changes.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, another another big one is is voting. We've got to. Be yes. Active. Yes. And, you know, like they keep saying, the local elections are the most powerful ones. When we vote for mayors and, you know, police chiefs and things of that I mean, we have to be actively voting right. to put people in place. Yes. Our interest.
3: I uh, agree with that. And see see us in. You know, as doctors, lawyers, you know, as educators, we need to be more present in politics and things like that. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, Dr. Mm -hmm. Kim Pastor, (laughs) fixing our broken immigration system Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they provide so much to our society. So we cannot forget them as
0: well. Yeah, I I agree. agree. I do agree. I think that, and, and all the things that we're talking about are big things. They're not things that's going to happen overnight. And, and these small, these small things like taking down the Confederate statues. I mean, yeah, that's a good idea. That should have been done, but that's not going to end racism. And what right. what I see is that um, businesses, you know, uh, um, states, we want to hurry up and do something very quick and easy to put a Band-Aid on it Band-Aid. so that people right. can stop protesting so we can shut up about it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, racism is still here. It's still here. Um, yes. Like El Sharpton said, they still have their foot on our neck yes. until yes. the systems change. The systems yes. have to change. And the, in multiple systems, mm-hmm. um, so you named a few, but we need to go to the healthcare system as well. Oh, yes. Oh, so, many, so many people are, are not getting the, the healthcare they need Black women are dying in childbirth because yes. they they are in pain and their pain is ignored. There are yes. so many different systems that have to be radically changed. Yeah. Um, and yes. so it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Okay. Taking down the Confederate flags, you know, writing in a policy is not going to stop the racist views um, that people use to oppress people in their environments because Black people are suffering and many of their environments in which they operate unless they're operating in environments with people that look like them and it's not many so environments where it's just just all black people there right, right. Um, yes right. unless you go out of the country right in mm-hmm. and africa and jamaica and, and, and where everyone looks like it, it's different here and so mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that have to happen to to eradicate racism i don't i i, I just don't want us to lose sight because we're mm-hmm. cheering on you know the confederate statues being removed or the flags being removed or that's that's not what that's not the problem. Right. It's not.
2: Isn't that crazy how those statues have been up for years. Yeah, no. Just recently, since
0: overnight,
2: all this attention to it that that now stuff would be, you know something's being done about it. I saw an interview <laughs> with with, with uh, you know how the news would just grab somebody randomly and ask them what are your thoughts about the statue. They said, "Well, I've been living in this city for years. I didn't even realize what the statue represented until you know the protesters started coming." So that continuing the conversation, continuing the mm-hmm. protest. Not being silent is required. what other things will we wake up our brothers and sisters on if we continue to just herald it, just continue to shout it out and point it out? you know
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, so yeah I, I I agree with that. I thought it was interesting to point out. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely, so.
0: and I wonder so women now they are talking about women at the front lines of these protests um and, and women organizing these protests. we know. Black Lives Matter is, are some Black women, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so what impact is this really having on Black women?
3: You know what? Um, for me, I see us as always being the strength of the Black family. Mm-hmm. And with things like mass incarceration, things like, um, you know, the drug influx in the neighborhoods and us the black men being removed from a lot of homes we see a lot of more single family homes now i think black women have always been strong for black men for black families and that's why you see so many women forming protests and you know you see some more so many more women going to get educated and get degrees and starting businesses. Um just that strength that we've always had. And now people are really getting to see more of it because of social media and you know, cameras, mm-hmm. camera phones. You know, they get to see what mm-hmm. the black family and black men have always known about black women.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I agree with you. I agree with you. Black Black women have been a foundation for a long time. And, yes. And, and when you look at many families, you can say like, oh, Big Mama held the family together, right? Yes. She was the glue. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that's what uh, the world is seeing. That's what the world is seeing now. Um, so listen, mothers across the nation cried out when George Floyd started crying out for his mother. We heard. We saw that in the headlines. What mm-hmm. were your initial feelings? Um, and I know you have a son, you know, what, what did you, what did you have to speak to him about? What, what things were, were running through your mind?
3: I'm going to be honest. I have, i never watched the video because I protect my mental health and peace at all times, mm-hmm. but I did hear that snippet of mm-hmm. him calling for his mother. And it was very heartbreaking
1: mm-hmm.
3: because a relationship between a boy and his mother is such a very important relationship. Just that as um, a male and his son and a male and a daughter, you know, we, we are a big part of showing and raising our boys to be empathetic, mm-hmm. to be loving, you know, that's where parts of what we teach our son. And To hear him calling out to his mother, it was very heartbreaking. So even when my son just made 13, Mm -hmm. but this is something we have always talked to him about, me and his dad, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of preparing him. And one of the things that when I say preparing him early on is speaking life into him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I continue and always speak life into my son, even before I started having the discussions about racism. Mm -hmm. And one of the main things I've been telling him since he was younger, when you go outside of these doors, the world may try to put you down, diminish you, but you're always going to go back to the words of your mom. Uh, Affirmation, I tell my son, every day you are beautifully and wonderfully made in the eyes of the Lord. Speak it, claim it. You Uh are a child of the most high. Mm -hmm. You know, I say these things to him and speak life into him and know that God is always by his side. Mm -hmm. And that's just one of the things, always just trying to have that spiritual foundation. And for my son to know who God is in him, within him and for him. Mm -hmm. And then having that talk about racism, you know, what to do when you encounter a police officer. You know, him walking, you know, my son's stature, he's a 13 shoe for the last two, three years. He's mm-hmm. taller than me. I'm five, six and a half. He's taller than me. So, mm-hmm. and the men in my family are over six feet. So I'm already, already preparing him for, you know, you know, not walking around with your hood on, you mm-hmm. know, keeping your hands outside your park. So different conversations that necessarily other women outside of Black women or people of color don't have to discuss with their kids. It's yes. unfortunate that we have to have these conversations so early, but they're very, very important for us to have. So that's kind of how I handle it. And I was just checking in, in his, on his mental health with yes. everything that's going on. How are you mentally, emotionally? You know, that's important. And just, I don't allow my son on social media. So that's another thing that helps me. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, mm-hmm. I really just feel like a lot of kids shouldn't be on social media. So we don't do social media for him.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I I blocked social media for a number of years, but once they get to 16 and 17, it's a little bit hard. It's harder to do, but I did the same thing. 13, no social media, neither one Mm -hmm. had any social media Um, because they see so much on social media and you have to prepare them for what they're about to see. And I like what you said about speaking life into our kids um, and and doing it from birth because they have to know who who they are. I think one of the things that I taught my son was that you never hold your head down. If I see him walking around and his head down, I'm stopping it right there. Right? Why is your head down? Never should your head ever be down. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what you did wrong. Your head must be up and you need to own whatever thing that you did. Yes. because the world is gonna beat them down so that they can hold it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Need, they, they don't ever need to look or feel as if they're less than. And I think exactly. that, is, that has been a mother's role is to kind of keep them lifted, right? But yes. that's a heavy role to carry as a mother. Yes. Um,
3: And one of the other things for me is I always tell my son firm handshakes. You look a person in the eye yeah. when you shake their hands, it's mm-hmm. something his dad teaches them too. I just reiterate a lot of the things that his dad teaches him. Mm-hmm. If I see him not doing it, if you know, yeah, I reiterate these things. Cause it's a that's an important piece that women, we can't raise a man to be a man. Mm-hmm. And we have to get out of that thinking, even though it, we're, it's a lot of single moms out here, but you can't, a woman can't raise a man to be a man.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. So, It's important even if they don't have a father to have mentors, Mm -hmm. men in a church. Like even though my son father's around, I keep my they have a mentorship program at our church. I keep him involved in because it takes a village. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It does. So what are your thoughts? What thoughts do you have for the future of black men in America? And that's that can be from for either one of you.
3: Ooh, I'm going to let Pastor George just take that
2: one. <laughs> well, i got to start with my passion. Um, you know, just recently with, um, with the turn of my birthday, I'm getting older. I'm 42 now. and Oh, uh, <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah. I
3: just turned 42. <laughs> just, just turned 42.
2: So, so, and I'm starting to, when I sit down long enough, I'm standing up and my joints are starting to crack and, you know, all that mm-hmm. pain. So I've really been drawing attention to uh, health and my passion has really been for Black help for black men you know really strengthening mm. and, and and really building our I, I feel like you know and I did this the the work y'all probably already know this the research is that black men live the least and it's not even homicide it's like medical conditions yes um yeah that that it's like the top the, the top 3 reasons why we live less are Uh, Health reasons and a lot of that comes from neglecting our health, not not going to the doctor, you know, not getting annual checkups. So that's really been something on my heart to change for for black men. I I really want um, black men to be motivated to just go and find out what state your body's in, get your numbers, get your levels, find out where you are right now, because when you can see what your body is doing. You have a better chance of doing something about it. And so mm-hmm. I think that's the best. You know, we can we can protest all day long, but it's going to take longevity. You got. <laughs> I just did three, three protests this weekend. And I'm telling you, you got to be healthy to protest. <laughs> that's so,
0: true. <laughs> idea one, I did mean, one. Bottom,
2: you know, bottom line, you got to march through two or three miles sometimes. So, so you know, you got to be healthy enough and you got to be here long enough to pass that legacy to set up the next generation. Because whether we understand it or not, this fight is multi-generation. It has to be. Yes. A, 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 we have to set the next generation up to carry that torch. And if we're checking out here too early, then we stop the fight. We abort the mission. And it, it'll be another 20 years before uh, uprising. And, and And, you know, we got momentum now. Let's empower, strengthen our brothers, our our generals in the face, that they can come and strengthen up the uh, the soldiers that come behind us and take the lead, take the fight.
3: Mm-hmm. I like that. Can I add on to that a little bit? Yes, From the please. mental health perspective, I think that um black men and the taboo that goes with mental health seeking therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, dismantling um that toxicity that we see, you know. Even us as parents letting our little boys know it's okay to show your emotions,
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know, and that, that's a huge problem. So many black men are holding on to always having to be strong, mm-hmm. not showing their emotions, which a lot of that stress, chronic stress, turns into heart disease, severe mental illnesses, mm-hmm. and the physical conditions. That's why we see the hypertension, the diabetes the heart disease in the black community so prevalent because
0: of the chronic stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: That's awesome. That's Mm -hmm. a good observation. That's good.
0: So what coping skills should mothers develop in their sons during this time?
3: Definitely self-care. And when I say self-care, not only for the black sons, but Mm -hmm. the mothers. The yes. parents in the home, especially now that everybody's been stuck in the house together, mm. people have been homeschooling, working from home, cooking more meals than they probably well, I know over in my house, cooking yeah. more meals. You know, I'm cooking in between classes. I teach. Oh, me too. Mm-hmm. Self-care. And self-care can be simple as just being still. One of the things... That's important to me. I call it my power mornings. And my power mornings look like my daily devotionals, Bible readings, Mm -hmm. my daily affirmations, meditation. Mm -hmm. You know, I may do some quick reading, go on a self-help book, you know, prayer, things that get me going. And my favorite one is gratitude journal. I gratitude journal every day. Mm -hmm. These are things that just keep me mentally sane through all this, everything that we have to experience. And one of the things even with my son is also us exercising,
1: Mm
3: -hmm. you know, trying to eat healthy. Those are things that reduce your stress and keep your stress down. And taking Mm -hmm. a break from media for myself, you know, watching the news, shutting down on social media, those are things that are really, really important in developing coping skills yeah, yeah. yeah I agree and with it, you and if you need to if you need something even deeper, you know all kind of therapists are doing virtual therapy now.
2: Wow, yeah
0: and I think that as mothers, we do have to recognize in our our children when they are not coping well and. Yep. And offer those outlets. And if they won't take those outlets, then get them into that counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, virtual counseling is so accessible. I think for the month of May, many counselors had free sessions. Yep. That they were offering for people. Um, but mm-hmm. we have to teach them how to do self-care. Because honestly, yes. they don't even know what that means. Exactly.
3: Right? Most adults don't
1: mm-hmm.
3: know mm-hmm. what that looks like. You know, mm-hmm. definitely.
1: Yeah.
0: So, you know, we got to talk about this police brutality um, because the reason why we're talking about racism and these deaths and working with our children and all of these things is because police, getting killed by the police is the leading cause of death for black men in America. Wow. Many people are arguing that the issue is the police are a matter of um, just being police brutality, and not an issue of of racism. Some saying it's both racism and police brutality. Um, You know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there saying that the way the police system was designed initially um, was to serve and protect white people, right? And so that meant that they were always more hostile and brutal towards people of color. So what are your views on this?
2: I wasn't enlightened to, to that to that perspective until recently, but it, it really does make sense. You know, they were um, really to police slaves. You know, that's what they were created for, and that branch kind of grew out of that. So that culture is still there. Um, so it made sense when we're, sti- we're seeing them, you know, being brutal to to black people and uh, particularly black men. Um, so yeah, that, I I definitely see that. I see that connection. Um, it's a shame. It really is. And, and it's hard to turn culture. It takes, it takes intentions. It takes the majority. It takes people. It takes time because culture is embedded. It's been developed over years, you know? And so we, but we can do it. We definitely can do it. It's just got to take us really being intentional with changing the culture of, uh, that, that they, a police force, you know, the brutality. We got to really do something about that.
0: I know.
3: Yes. Um,
0: yes. And I know for me, I, my background, I I spent 10 years doing evaluation of programs. The one thing that we would see in these programs is that people who have been in a program for 10 to 20 years or more, um, they would often revert back to those old behaviors, mm-hmm. right? And so even though policies and procedures have changed, they have not changed. And as a result of that, they that those behaviors would come back up. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about overhauling the police and the police, ch- police system changing, um, you know, county by county or state by state or whatever, we still have to look at how can we change the culture so much that people won't revert back to their old ways of doing and their old ways of being.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that I think the new culture. I don't mean to cut you off, Doctor Edwards. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the new culture is holding the system accountable. Yes. Because, like you just said, it it is you know people going to revert back to their old ways, which means we got to always keep that pressure on them. The minute we let up. It will get... I mean, even this right now, I'm hoping that this is not a fad that we're taking to the streets, that we're doing the protest. But you know how it happens. We our, our human nature causes us to be sensationalists for a season. And then after mm-hmm. that sensation wears off, it's right back to business as usual. And in order for us to see real change, we have to be consistent in what we're doing now.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. We have to go from protests to demanding change in certain areas, impacting policies, systems, structures, everything. We, have, I mean, Because honest, honestly, protests are designed to disrupt the system. So right. we're starting with the protests, but it's never meant to stop there. That's
2: a good right? point. Yep. We have to yep. take yep. it to the
0: next level. We've disrupted the system. People are, it's also designed to gain allies. So now that you've made more people aware, you gain more I- allies that way. But yes. now as, after that is over with, it's time to take it to the next
2: step. And we have to develop our own systems Mm -hmm. to reinforce the systems we expect and the order that we expect. So, yeah, you're right. I love what you just said. Protest is the starting point. Mm -hmm. But then now we got to either force government to come up with the policies that are in place to to maintain what we're expecting them to do, or we have to. That's how the NAACP started and all of these. uh, The Black Lives Movement started because now we got systems in place, mm-hmm. systems that will check now the um, the problems that arise, and I think that that's what it's going to take. We saw, and I'm, I know I'm rambling, but we saw when we elected Obama. You know, our people were excited. We hit the polls, and then what happened? We <laughs> we just neglected to vote in the next election, and because Correct. of our neglect, it caused some problems. And so I just hope Mm -hmm. that our people realize that this is now our new normal. Right.
0: Because you vote no matter what. Whether you go to the polls or not, you vote. That's true. That's true. And people have to understand that. You can have your own voice and it can be actually your vote. Or it's
2: going to be the vote for the uh, opponent. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And let me yeah. say this too. You on my, you on, 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 yeah. on my Yeah, go ahead, Mister. <laughs> I, I made I made a post the other day where I told I was encouraging people. Let's not forget to vote. Right, just a simple. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting comments on my feed about, um, well, if we have better candidates to vote for, or I don't even trust Biden, and they were just expressing their concerns. I said simply, vote anyway. Just vote. I, I know you got objections. But we can't allow our objections to hold us back from the vote. I know there's nobody perfect. It's not gonna be a perfect situation. But vote right. <laughs> Just do so
0: it. So I think I think what's happening is pop culture has sort of disrupted the vote. And I think it's all designed, it's designed for us not to vote. We right. cannot afford to split the vote by no by not voting. We we just cannot afford to do that. Right. And so what has happened is they're saying that. Black people need and want and demand more. Yes, we do, right? But when we look at two candidates, where are you going to get the most for? The
2: most from, that's good.
0: It's like when you get a bag of chips, you shake that bag and you Mm. look for the bag that has the most chips. That doesn't mean that both bags are are equally as good or equally as fresh. You want the one with the most chips in it, right? right. We want the most out of the candidates that we have. If we do not vote, we vote. And, and people need to understand, they may not like Biden, mm-hmm. but Biden right now, he has some insight already into the White House, right. and he knows what needs to be changed. Now, whether all of it is in the favor of Black folks, we don't know that. Right. And we also know that it takes more than the president, more than the president, to actually make some changes for Black folks. It's not just the president. People were mad at Obama for the things that he could not do, not realizing that he proposes things and others vote those things down. Right. And that's the reason why he cannot do everything that was set on his agenda.
2: Absolutely.
0: Same thing. It's the same circumstances. If you don't vote for Biden, you vote for Trump, period. Absolutely. <laughs> that's just, and so it's up to you. It's up to you. You can have a choice of who you want to vote for either way, or you're going to vote for Trump by Absolutely. not voting. Absolutely. And that's, that's where we are.
2: Yeah, okay. and you just got you got to vote. You got to vote. So I'm, I'm hoping we see the turnout like we did with with Obama. You could tell when we when we show up because yeah. the lines are long, man. Oh no, they rolling the seniors up to the front of the line, and mm-hmm. you getting grandmama and them out there. I'm telling you, we need to see that. This
0: again, time. we need yes, it. Yes,
2: we do. We got to see
0: need it. it. Me and my baby mm-hmm. stayed in line for three hours to vote for Obama. Yeah.
2: I'm telling you, three
0: hours to vote for Obama. We need that same type of energy again, because if we don't do it, what we see right now, it's going to get worse. It will. It's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Um, And
3: i like to add on doubling back about the um, changing police culture. I wanted to add in seeing some training Ah. and training is important. Like one of the trainings I do is a de-escalation training. Mm -hmm. They need more de escalation training. Another training I do is an empathy training to work with gang involved individuals, but just a training on empathy, period. Mm -hmm. And we need to, us in my field, psychologists, need to figure out ways to make these psych evaluations that they're getting be able to really do something. We need to really go back and look at. These psych evaluations because people are really being getting through on these psyche vows. Mm-hmm. So I think where when I go back to that systemic issue, mm-hmm. we need to look at the mental health culture yeah. within the police force, mm-hmm. and it needs to be added in even more now yeah. because they are taking psych evaluations. So something
0: somewhere it's not working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, wh- it, wh- what it is, is what is is what is on the psych evaluation that they're taking? How has the psych evaluation been designed? How has it been normed, right? Because maybe mm-hmm. the psych evaluation that they're using needs to change and maybe it's exactly. outdated. But also exactly. I, I argue because, you know, I'm in diversity and inclusion and I argue, we always say, oh, we need training, we need training. And now since everything has happened in the world. Everyone wants this this implicit bias training, like right now. I got to have implicit bias training. I've done so many. And and my thing is, implicit bias training alone is not enough. We need more interactive trainings to say, this is how you act and interact with people of color, Mm -hmm. people who are not like yourself. It cannot just be me standing up here showing you what bias is if you're not going to do the work. To address your biases right so we need more interactive training yes more Um, Mm hands-on i agree with
3: you on that i just did a um a training last week for this big global tech company um and i have people from germany south africa pretty much all white Mm -hmm. and i know some of the things i've talked about probably shocked them but I talked about anti-racism. I talked about microaggressions, Mm -hmm. what microaggression looked like. You know, Mm -hmm. they needed to hear it. I -hmm. talked about tokenism, Mm colorblindness, you know, that diversity and inclusion, how to get that up and started. You guys should have a diversity and inclusion department, Mm -hmm. you know, and what can you do to be a supportive ally? That's important. And I talked Mm -hmm. about things, them using their privilege. Volunteering, I gave them so many resources on nonprofits on at the national level and local level, Mm -hmm. books to read, movies to watch. You know, we need to stop being afraid to talk about racism and being non-racist isn't enough, right? Right. You need to focus on anti-racism, as Angela Davis said in one of her quotes.
0: Mm You're So actively focused on act, exactly. Self-proclaiming that you're not a racist is is not enough. It's, exactly. it's not enough to maintain that because one thing that I, I tell people is that racism is in people's homes. It's in how they're raised. It's in the experiences of storytelling that other people within their family have told to them. And so, because of that, they it, it's easy for them to just revert back to those. Mm -hmm. views and those ways of of seeing. And especially when you're busy, because that's when bias come in. When you're busy, when you're multitasking, it's easy for those racist biases to come in and impact how you judge, right? So they have to start removing the cover of racism, calling it what it is, it's racism, identifying all the different you know, values and, and experiences that they had that contributed to that, those racist thoughts and really starting to address them personally. They yes. have to do the work. Ending racism mm-hmm. means you do the work individually and then you start undercovering the stuff in your household, mm-hmm. in your home, within your family. And then you go into everywhere in which you operate. All the places exactly. where you work, you play, the people you mm-hmm. work with. And you start doing it there. That's how we end racism. We just cannot say we're not, I'm not a racist and be done with it.
3: Right. And white fragility is something I talked about. Yes. Stop getting in your emotions. And I told them that (laughs) when the topics, that emotional response that a lot of times is given off, we're not here for that. We don't receive that. So, if you want to have a conversation about racism, let's have it. But all that being offended, you know, falling out, crying, you know, mm-hmm. no, we're not going to go there. And mm-hmm. don't expect every Black person to welcome you to talk about it yeah. and explain it. Some of us don't want to do that. Mm-mm. And it's, it's, not, actually, our it's
0: exactly, not our job. It's not. Exactly. It's not.
3: One of my colleagues
0: yeah. said it so well. She said, it is not our Black people's job to comfort white people right. because At they all. feel ashamed and uncomfortable with the history or with their past or any of that. It's not our job to comfort them. Instead, as allies, they should be trying to comfort Black people. Right. Exactly.
2: Right. You know, I, I wonder, you know, and I had to wrestle with, I mean, can they... Is it an act that they cannot empathize? Because you know, and I'm talking to the insensitive um, mm-hmm. people, you know. Because when you said that, you know, we need them to to really take on and empathize. Like, is that is that hard for them to do, or is that is it an act? I mean, what? Why is it hard to hear that people are being oppressed and these are real accounts, and you can see it on TV? Because you know, the the feedback of what is being shown is. You know, well, they deserve it. You know, you know, George Floyd didn't have a great criminal record. And it's like, OK, how do you go there mm-hmm. instead of just seeing what we're saying? This is oppression. This is racial injustice. What's the disconnect? Mm-hmm. The they flexion.
0: can. I, I think people are capable of empathizing. The thing is, are they willing and open to it? And that is Mm -hmm. the problem. If you've been raised in a culture that breeds hate, all you know is hate. You Mm -hmm. don't know empathy. We're asking you to do something that you, your first reaction is hate. You know hate Mm -hmm. very well. Um, And so we're asking to do something that they've never had to do for people of color before.
2: Mm. Yes. Right. Right. And so that's the disconnect. I got you. That's the disconnect.
3: Mm -hmm. That's the disconnect. Yeah.
2: and so, so I, I love what Dr. Edwards said, you know, so you did the training on, on diversity to to let them know. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I love that. But, you know, I'm just I'm so skeptical because they, they come away with that. And it's actually putting it into practice. It's actually doing yes. it, the action.
3: Definitely. You know? So my thing was them. I had them schedule a follow up training. Yes. Because Now I need to see how you guys are implementing this. And you can hire me to actually start your diversity and inclusion department, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I gave them many options. So now Mm -hmm. we're going to see, because actually the CEO was actually on a training as well. Mm -hmm. So with him being on a training, it really holds responsibility because when we look at leadership, you were there present with your employees. So now it's accountability. Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not secondhand information about how the training went you spent the whole time on the training
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: that accountability is important
1: sure it
0: is and the the other thing i think as trainers because i train i do a lot of training um in higher ed of, of course on diversity and inclusion and it's a lot of controversy there's a new book that talks about the academic system and how it, um, is designed to oppress people of color. Yes. Um, and so the one thing that I had to tell myself, if I plant the seed and only one person in that room, get it and grow fruit, I'm, I have to be okay with that mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, I'm not going to change the minds of every person that I, I train, you know, some going to sit there with their arms folded, never look me in the eye and I already know where they are. But I can't hone mm-hmm. in on them. I need to hone in on the person there that's really thinking about their past and mm-hmm. what ha- what has happened, and you know what they've learned and how they need to unlearn certain things. Those are the people that I'm talking to, because we're not. I mean, honestly, people are going to be in a room and it's going to go right over their head, and they're going to go back to doing everything that they've been doing. Yes, I agree. Um, but I do say that just sitting there and getting that and, you know, marking, doing a check mark, we call it checkbox diversity, when organizations want to check the box by saying all of my employees have had diversity training. Um, that's just a checkbox thing. That's not a culture. That's not changing your right. culture to focus on the inclusion of everybody, regardless mm-hmm. of race, color, ethnicity, you know. But- Right. But it's a it's a step, right? That many companies willing to take the first step, and like you did, once you get in the door, and they're willing to take the first step, it's kind of trying to push them to take the next step because mm-hmm. the training alone is not, it's, it's just not going to do it.
3: Exactly, not at all. And like you, Dr. Keys, working as an educator, mm-hmm. I I work at three different schools, and one of the schools I work with is predominantly Caucasian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All my students are predominantly Caucasian, and I work at another campus where it's predominantly Asian,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and then another one that's mixed. It's diverse, so just even seeing it in higher education is like, oh my goodness, it's still a lot of work that needs to be done, mm-hmm. even even within higher education.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I I, I listened, I don't know if you ever heard of Bettina Love, but Bettina Love Mm -hmm. talks a lot about um, abolitionist teaching. But one thing, when I met her, one thing she said to me is she said, academia was never meant for us. It was never meant for people of color. So we can't expect it to operate and adjust to us because it was never meant for us. We have to make our own lane in academia. And, yep. and be able to function within that, create our mm-hmm. own environment, create our own path. Um, and it's an interesting thing. And, and she, for me, she conceptualized everything that I felt is that, you know, why is it so hard to change the system? Well, it's hard to change the system that was never built for you. That's, right. and that's the same place we are with police brutality. Yes. It's hard exactly. to change a system that was never built to serve and protect us. Their focus was on serving and protecting who? People, white people. Right. And, and that's exactly. the reason why we're at this point where where brutality is is so bad there there was an article that came out that talked about um they started to look at these um police cams and they started to look at how police spoke to people of color opposed to white people and they just said the language that they used were so harsh towards people of color which mm. is which is pretty interesting is it's, it's, it's they they don't have the same respect for people of color. Oh and yeah, so, definitely. Right, so they're provoking men. You know, mm-hmm. if the language you're talking to them a certain way. They can't even answer questions. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's 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 just a it's a complex right. system, a complex problem. But right. I mean, I think the importance of our conversation is that where we are is definitely a starting point to getting to where we need to be. But it is not the end of where we need to be. Yes, definitely. So I want to close by saying Black and brown people live in a society that seemingly hates them for the color of their skin. They experience stress, trauma, and other mental health challenges as a result. Faith has always been the quiet in a storm, the shelter to cope with the world around. Protests are a way to cry out to the world that that we can no longer continue in this life. Protests have been used to shape public opinion, force change, and disrupt the norm. The daily protests in, in all 50 states and internationally tells us that change is on the way. We must keep the faith. So rest peacefully to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Sarah Bland, and many others out there. This is Making It Plain with Dr. Key. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Dr. Edwards. Thank you, Pastor Georges. Please follow us on Instagram at Making It Plain with Dr. Key. Thank you for listening to Making It Plain with your host, Dr. Key. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Sparkman Key Consulting, LLC. Check us out at www.thedrkey.com.